You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to geeksradio.com or searching Geeks Radio on iTunes. Geeks Radio is a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. Warning, the episode you're about to listen to may include plot spoilers and naughty language, so listener discretion is advised. It's time for Trek Off! Benedict Cumberballs! Welcome to Trek Off! My name is Justin. And my name is Alexia. And we are talking. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say the word today anymore. <laughs> we are discussing. Um, we're going back to an old format that we used to do. So tell us if you like it or if you hate it. We are doing an entire season in this podcast. The very first season of Star Trek. Um, the original uh, series. Um uh, Which it occurs it, to me as being like way long overdue for the record. Like we did a, se- a, se- a season overview for fucking Voyager before the first. Like that's just yeah, wrong. That's just wrong. So let's go back to the 1960s. Um, uh, you got the whole space thing going on. Uh, you are you are post uh, assassination of uh, of Kennedy. Uh, mm-hmm. The the Beatles are are going strong. Um, you're uh, in the middle of these three seasons of Star Trek. Uh, Which I really think is the reason for the bad wig on Chekhov when he showed Oh, absolutely, up. yeah. Although what I don't understand, and it may, like I wish I knew more about this, is like how they, how they, I guess, recorded them. Like because it'll be like one episode awful wig and then like the next episode it's his hair and you're like yay we're done with the bad wig and then the next episode bad wig is back. I'm like wait what. No, what do we? I don't understand. <laughs> but we will. That's actually one character we will not be seeing. Uh, I know because he is season. not on season one. Um, we are. Uh, I think. I think at the time the country is sort of like space is a big deal, man. Hell like, yeah! Like it's people are going to the moon in that decade, and and along comes this little show that without which. We don't have all of the Star Trek. I don't think we have Star Wars. I don't think we have Firefly. I don't think we have space shows as we know it. We don't. We absolutely don't. So, um, so we owe a lot to uh, to what we're about to go over. We started uh, season one. Um, I'm going to read the uh, the stats, and then uh, this is the sort of thing that you, uh, as I was with Next Gen, this is your. Uh, this is really your baby, so I'm going to be actually learning a lot. I've, some of these I've only seen a couple of times, so you know a lot more than I do. But we're going to start with uh, what is called episode number 101 of the original series entitled The Cage. Synopsis. After being tricked by an illusionary distress signal, Captain Pike escapes from his captors who wanted to use him and his crew to rebuild their world. It was written by Gene Roddenberry, directed by Robert Butler, um, and... Uh, the cage. Uh, what can you say about the cage? <laughs> it's going it well so far. Sorry, sorry. I'm gonna try to keep that to a minimum, but like, yeah. it is what it is. Um, uh, you have the Katarian flu. 
um, so this is the this is really the only episode where we see Pike. Um, because after this, it's it's Kirk all the way. Um, yeah, and when until, we do see Pike until later, the menagerie, it's, but it's you know what I mean. He's not captain of the Enterprise anymore. Yeah, and when you they do show him, it's pretty much this episode or a different actor. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty much this. It is pretty much this episode, <laughs> <laughs> like being rolled into a two-part episode with the you know crew as we come to love them over the course of the season. So um, the other thing that's pretty cool in this episode is that, um, and I think she looks better with dark hair. And I was kind, of, I would have enjoyed seeing a, a first officer be a chick, but clearly that was a little too progressive. Uh, for the studios, and they were Major like... Major Barrett, man. Mm -hmm. Before she was Nurse Chapel, she was the first officer, and she had this... Number one. She's called... Yep. The, and it's something that we, we have become very familiar with, is a first officer being called number one. Mm-hmm. So and you know, Spock is there, but he's not... Um, he's not quite Spocky. No, he's not. Like, I think he smiles in that episode and weird shit like that, and you're like, wait, yeah. what? Like, you notice uh, that across the whole course of the first season. I would say, like, where there's sort of little inconsistencies as they're trying to figure shit out. Like, Vulcans are called Vulcanians a lot of the time. Um, and they're on the Earth ship. It's not the USS. At one point, it isn't, like, the ISS Enterprise. And it's not the Federation at first. Like, it's it's their... They find their way. But, I mean, for goodness sake, it's the first season of, of a show. So what are you going to do? I mean, they had no There's idea. There's nothing you can do. It's, it's fun to watch, though, and, and, and go, wait, this is where we call them Vulcans for the first time, right? Like, it's like, wait, why was it Vulcanians? Like, why was that how we said that? Like, because it's, you think about it, like, because we're so used to it being Vulcans, where, like, you hear Vulcanian and you go, wait, what? <laughs> what are they called? Well, we will be... We will be uh, I mean, I, well, before, before we jump off the cage, I think it's important to know. I, I, it's so compared to what it's a lot like a, a first season next gen episode, the cage. It's really heady. Like essentially, you have Captain Pike and these people basically fuck with his head and make him see like illusions of things that tempt him to kind of like not be a cool. Oh yeah, guy. so we get to see you know green chick. Yeah, that's all based on this one chick, this one hot chick, you know. That he, of course, starts to have feelings for because that's what happens when you're space the captain. Feelings. Space feelings. He starts to have space feelings for the hot space chick. <laughs> you know, as much as I like Captain Pike and I do, I would not have wanted to see uh, three seasons and six movies and seven movies of this guy. Um, I mean, he's cool enough, but he's like, he's sort of moody. He's he's kind of down in the dumps. He's unsure. Yeah, of and like the doctor too. Like I dig the doctor. Like he's fine. But, like, he's no bones. Like, and what's yeah. interesting is when you watch um, subsequent episodes, it's clear that it's not like the writing has really changed. Um, it's just the way that they, that they interact with each other that just adds a different feel to that writing. You know what I mean? Because, like, he pretty much, the doctor in this episode gives him, you know, alcohol or whatever to, like, chat about shit like Bones will do sometimes with Kirk. And, you know, he'll he's a little bit upset about being the captain and the responsibility of that, like Kirk is sometimes. Like, it's just so interesting that it's, like, clearly the exact same writing, but by having different actors in those roles and how they their chemistry and how they interact with each other makes such a difference. Because you're right, like, I don't... Like, it was good. It's not like it's bad, but no, I, think it's really I wouldn't I mean, love it in the same way that I love it with the people that, that they had. I see also. a lot of Next Gen and even a little of DS9 off of this. I mean, absolutely. I, I When I look at... 
at uh, Pike. I think the captain who, at the beginning, most closely resembles Pike is Cisco when he's starting out on DS9. He doesn't really want to be there. He's not really sure of himself. He's not sure if it's something he can really handle. And then he's shown a whole bunch of really kind of mind-blowing images that he has to sort of sort. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of the cage, and I think in the first uh, in in the first uh, episode of DS9. I can see that. Like he's definitely you know, a little bit ornery about his position. Like, I always feel like when, when Kirk is upset about it, like, I don't know, when Pike does it, he just comes across as pissy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when Kirk does it, it just comes across as him being conflicted. It's it's interesting, but true. <laughs> well, we can talk about Trek history another time. I, I Before we started, I said these first two episodes I don't want to spend tons of time on because I think we could talk about the cage for, like, for there's an hour. There's so much, yeah, there's so much in there. Because there was no Star Trek before this. And mm-hmm. this was where Star Trek came from, is from this episode. Uh, but really briefly, they brought it to NBC. NBC liked the idea. And the first time then the first time in all of television history, NBC said, Well, we like the show. Give us another take on the show. <laughs> um, and so for the first time that it had ever been done, they made them make a second pilot. And the name of that second pilot is the episode we know is the first aired episode of Star Trek, which is Where No Man Has Gone Before, episode number 102, written by Samuel A. Peebles, directed by James Goldstone. When the Enterprise nears the galactic barrier, two crew members develop telepathic powers which threaten the ship. This is another great episode. I mean, they're all great in my opinion, obviously, but... um, (coughs) Especially, and this is, of course, where we see uh, <laughs> James R. Kirk, which obviously eventually yep. comes James T. Kirk. Um, but he, and he has it's like this... His, his R got promoted. Right, to a T. <laughs> <laughs> like S altogether. Yes, exactly. Um, it's just, it's so cool because, like, the chicken in it is cool, um, and she's a scientist, you know what I mean? Like... And she, so she's not like a yeoman or you know just a hura being on you know comms or whatever. Like she's, you know, smarty pants or whatever, <laughs> which is kind of cool because you don't see a lot of that, you know. And you know he's got this relationship with with the guy that it happens to first, you know. So they have this you know friendship, and it's great because you don't ever see any of that history, but they communicate it really really well in a short period of time. Well, we start with, like, Gary Lockwood plays uh, Gary Mitchell, and Sally Kellerman plays Dr. Elizabeth Danner, and it's really interesting that the reason that I know this, uh, other than the fact that I'm looking at it right now, uh, (laughs) is that when they started releasing shots of Star Trek Into Darkness, and they were swearing up and down it was not Khan, and they were not saying anything about it being uh, Carol Marcus, I saw the hair... And I was and like, yeah, that's Dr. Denner. That could be and, who it is, yep. And then when I saw, you know, you know, I am better at everything, you know, that in the trailers, there was a lot of thought that what we were going to see was actually a remake of this episode. Which would have been pretty damn cool. You and, know, and... Because it's a great episode. Would have been cooler than what they did, in my opinion. So, I... I don't know about that, babe. I like I like the idea of, you know, Gary Mitchell, I like the idea that he's, like, he's friends with Kirk, and it's... it's yeah. It's such an interesting idea to take, you know, your friend and you got to kill. I mean, that's high drama for, for essentially what you know is being billed as a kids show at the time. It's it's funny that that they were making a kids show, and everyone seemed to know that except the people making it. <laughs> and, and I think if this had, you know, this is supposed to be fucking lost in space, you know, and and they made it something else. And I think that that the tone gets set right here early on 
for the high stakes that's in Star Trek. Absolutely. Yeah, especially because he's, you know, the captain of the ship and he has to choose, you know what I mean? He has to choose the all of his people over this dude that's clearly his friend. Like, that's that's a tough decision. And it says so much about about him as a captain right off the bat. You know what I mean? Like I said, they, ha they have a really good way of just communicating a lot of information in a very short span of time about, like, the relationships and who people are. That's a gift I think they've always had on this particular series. Of course, this has Paul Fix as Chief Medical Officer Mark Piper. Um, uh, the guy that, when he comes on and he's the doctor, you're like, oh, he's not bummed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it bums you out. Uh, the air date for that one was September 22nd, 1966. Uh, going on to the next episode, which is... Uh, Episode 103 of the original series, The Carbamite Maneuver. Uh, an alien ship threatens the Enterprise with destruction, causing Kirk to use a ruse to trick the opponent. Original air date, November 10, 1966, written by Jerry Soule, directed by Joseph Sargent. Uh, first appearance of Janice Rand. Uh, yep. And, uh, and so he even whines a little bit about having a female yeoman to Bones. Because, like, she comes in to give him, like, salad or whatever. Because, like, yep. he had just had his physical at the beginning of the episode. Like, and this is what this is what kind of what I'm talking about, right? Like, in the, in the whole communicating a lot about relationships in a short period of time. You've got a red alert happening on the bridge. Like, you've got Sulu, and you've got, you know... Whoa, Boppy. Whoa, hey. <laughs> she unpaused the, the show. The it's underneath her. <laughs> um... You've got Spock on the bridge because Kirk is having a physical. So Bones is doing Kirk's physical, and of course I like this because Kirk has his, his shirt off and it's hot. Um, of course. Well, and, and that's the difference between him and Pike, right? <laughs> I mean, Pike is a good-looking guy, but he ain't no he ain't no William Shatner, that's for sure. <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie. So he's sitting there, you know, getting his physical or whatever, and. There's clearly this red alert going on, and, and the captain's been called to the bridge. But, like, you don't hear any of that shit, like, in sick bay. And you see, you know, eventually they finish up, and then Kirk, like, you know, sits up, and he's, like, he sees the red alert, like, because he was laying down, like, doing, you know, the little, the leg things or whatever. And he's, like, gives this look to Bones, like, you motherfucker. Like, you fucking, are you kidding me right now? Like, you just didn't tell me? That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, he says so much in this one tiny look. And then, of course, he calls up to the bridge finder, what the fuck is going on? And they're like, yeah, we're being held in place by this cube thing. We can't get away from it. We don't know what the fuck. So that's what I mean by they communicate so much because he's like, you know, I finally got to finish a physical, though. You know? It's like, you dick. <laughs> he's like, if I, if I jumped every time there was a red alert on this ship, like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's funny. I, I think it's. I mean, uh, what I what I really liked about it, and I got the the opportunity as we were prepping for the show to listen to uh, Kirk's little game of poker uh, at the end of the episode, mm -hmm. and uh, and it is, uh, you know, for a guy who likes to rip his shirt off and get in two handed fisticuffs, um, and you know if you know he he will either fuck you or beat you with two fists, um, but this shows you know what Kirk is also uh, smart. He's a damn good. He's a damn good captain. Um, yeah, he is, especially because we, you, you know, you've got, he's getting the, the lowdown from Spock. He's like, so what do we do, man? Like, we've got ten minutes to live. Like, we're fucked, right? 
Like, it doesn't look good. Like, they're clearly outgunned and outmatched. They can't get away. And Spock's like, well, I mean, it's like chess. You know? Checkmate. Like, it's over. He's like, really? That's all you have for me right now? You know what I mean? It's like, dude, seriously? He's like, I'm sorry, but, like, I don't see anything else, man. And it's because he winds up having an argument with Bones about... about Bailey, this guy that he had, I guess, there's this little discussion about how he might have promoted Bailey too early because he reminded, you know, where Bones, like, maybe he reminded you of yourself. And so I think that there's this personal shit going on with him and Bones. And Bones is like, and because Bailey snaps, you know, he, like, freaks out on the bridge. Like, we're all going to die in ten minutes, and you guys are just, you're just fine with this. What the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, dude, get the fuck out. <laughs> like, like we, we're about, we're going to die in ten minutes. We're trying to figure out how to live. Like, we do not need your shit right now. Like, now's not the time for you to come apart. And Bones is basically giving, you know, dressing down Kirk like he's, that kind of guy, like he doesn't just sit down and, and take it, and he's like, and of course Kirk is sort of snapping at him, he's like, I don't got time for this shit right now, dude. Like, seriously? We could talk about it if we all live, okay? And he's like, well, I'm gonna put this in my report, and he's like, well, that's you bluff, bluff me. If, you know, that's a great bluff, you're gonna bluff me any day, and then all of a sudden, he's, it's like he sort of has that idea, and you sort of see it happen. And then he realizes that it's not poker, you know, it's not chess, it's poker. And then he fucking... Just big kahunas, man. He just bluffs the shit out of these guys, <laughs> just like. Because he's fucking James T. Kirk. That's what I'm saying. Like just it like says every so other much. chick in the galaxy. Um. What? Well, uh, <laughs> there's another interesting cast member on this. Did you recognize Captain Baylock? Oh, you mean the little dude? Yeah. That is Ron Howard's brother, Clint Howard. Really? Who has been in like all of Ron Howard's movies. Um, but really? also, but also appeared in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, um, in past tense, uh, where um, I think that's the one where Cisco goes back in time and has to basically be like a an urban terrorist. Um, and then he's also in an episode of uh, of uh, Enterprise as a Ferengi in the episode Acquisition. I could totally uh, see him being a Ferengi, like. Um, and if I th- I think he might be the dad in the Grinch. I think that's like I think that's somewhere you might recognize him. Um, but uh, but either way, yeah, that, that's uh, that's Clint Howard who he went from the original series all the way to Enterprise. That's awesome. So yeah, so kind of not not very many people outside of Major Barrett who you can say that about. Um, uh, so going on from the uh, from. Where no man has gone before. There's again, I, there's so much we could say about that one and the Corbomite Cor- maneuver, which is just sort of establishing the kind of Captain Kirk is. Um, we move on to my phone buffering, which is fun. I love think everybody in the audience loves hearing my phone buffer. But well, you buffer, know what's interesting goes, is that you know I'm when you said we we were going to talk about this, I was going through and just looking at like the Netflix synopsis just to really uh-huh. like refresh my memory. And they're not listed in that order on Netflix. Like the Corbomite maneuver is like episode what, like six or something. Six or seven or something. Well, and I am Charlie looking at Charlie X looks like... is actually, I think, the first episode. No, no, no. The Man Second Trap episode, yeah. is the first episode. Well, I think they aired them out of order. Like at first, they were pulling a Firefly on it. Yeah. So, uh, but moving on to episode one zero four. 
That's Mud's Women, original air date, October 13, 1966. Kirk rescues Harry Mud, a pirate, and the three beautiful women who are his cargo, en route to a lithium mining colony. Story by Gene Roddenberry, tele teleplay by Stephen Kendall, Handel, directed by Harvey Hart. Um, Harry Mud, man. Oh, Harry Mud. Oh, Harry Mud. Um, a scoundrel. In Star oh, Trek. such a scoundrel! This complete and utter scoundrel. Definitely. And fun. Like, yes. Like that even though he's like a bad guy, you know, he's like fun. He's like half Ferengi, half Q. <laughs> I can actually see that. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like Q's mannerisms, but like a Ferengi's point of view, I guess. Right. Like he's all about the money. <laughs> it's all about the profit. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast uh, today about. Um, uh, about Deep Space Nine, talking about how many con men you actually really see in Star Trek, because it comes up a few times. Um, certainly, Harry Mudd is the most famous, but remember we, the, the guy who played uh, uh, Max Headroom was Rasmussen on uh, on Next Generation, the guy from like the 22nd century who stole 27th century technology and fooled everybody. Uh, that he was uh, that he was really like a historian when he was actually just stealing stuff from the ship. Oh and, yeah, and then basically all the Ferengi stuff. I mean, I think you have your 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 template here in Harry Mudd, and that he's a like he's a likable scoundrel. Um, and I mean, I hate to keep using the word scoundrel because it makes it sound like I don't have much vocabulary. But it's a great word, though. It's like really, really apt. <laughs> um, what is uh, what is like as a woman? What do you think of of what they're doing here with with Kirk and the women and and Harry Mudd? What's interesting is, is, I mean, by the end of the episode, it's a little bit girl power. You know? Like, Do you feel like they go too far before they get there, though? Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think, I think there's enough people who think it's kind of fucked up. You know what I mean? To start yeah. with. So I think that the only one who doesn't seem to see a problem with it is Harry Mudd, and it's clear that Harry Mudd's not, like, who you look up to. He's not, you know, he's not a good guy. Um, and, like, they see him as being exploitative, which he is. Um, and I think once, you know, because basically, so the premise is that these women are being given to these minors, and he's giving them some kind of a, a drug that's supposed to make them super sexy, like that makes men just like, ooh, hey, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like beer goggles times infinity, um, and or as know, I call it, Tuesday. <laughs> and so basically, they're they're gonna you know taking these drugs long enough to bamboozle these guys into marrying them, so that these women have somebody to take care of them, and. What's cool is by the end, you know, Kirk sort of figures out what's going on and the real strength of these women. is like, it's not about how beautiful this pill makes you. It's how beautiful you think you are when you're on it. Like, you, who you are inside, your confidence, you know, your strength, that's what makes you beautiful. And I think that's such a great message, especially considering the era. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that's a big thing. I think that, you know, it's easy for us to roll our eyes at T'Pol or the outfit that Seven had to wear, or even what they did with um, Carol Marcus in the new movie. I mean, there was so much criticism lobbied at J.J. Abrams for 
you know, here's Carol Marcus because she's she's eye candy. But I mean, that's like like the the alternative to that is people go, you have the green girl in the cage, you have this. It's always kind of been a part of Star Trek. It's not new. It's it's you know, the, your your audience is a bunch of twelve year old boys. I mean, that's that's you know, a lot of. I mean, how old were you when you were watching Star Trek? Not that you're a boy, but you you've expressed a, you, you've expressed an appreciation for the female form from time to time. <laughs> from time. I, I must speak as if though I'm a, a Harvard snob when I mention it to you. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but essentially, breasts and vaginas. Are, it's, it's just what we have. It's just, you know, it's like look at breasts, breasts, breasts. You are powerful, and love, and but it's not the pill that makes you. It's your breast. I mean, your mind. I mean, your so mind. I love, I love your minds right there on the front of your chest. Stop. <laughs> um, but like, I'm just like, saying. I think that the I think the issue when it comes to the the more recent track with that is that, like I said, here we have this episode that ultimately, you know, wraps up with what's beautiful is who you are. Like it's not about what you just what you look like on the outside, right? Like that's not really the strength of beauty. Um, and I think when you have that in a show from 1966, and sure. then we fast forward to now, and we're pretty much just making Carol Marcus eye candy. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no, really? No, no, no. She's 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 a, a weapons tech person that that can but fix all, something but she's by never by ripping anything smart. That's she rips out wires for goodness right, sake. Right, she rips out wires out of this big thing. For, like, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, and even in the original series, you have these female, um, you know, lieutenants and stuff that are smart and are called upon for their areas of expertise and, and get to speak intelligently. And you have women with ambition, and that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? So the fact that that's true of this show from the 1960s, and we can't, and like now. It's all about her being a sex object. Like, really? Thanks, no, JJ. I Thanks, JJ. Yeah, I appreciate Thanks, that. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> somehow it's his fault. Somehow it's Obama's fault. <laughs> it's his fault. Or if you fall on the other side, somehow it's Bush's fault. Just either right. way, either, either way, way. So, the president is the responsible. President is totally to blame. For JJ Abrams, <laughs> who I like. JJ's fine. He wears hipster glasses. He's not so bad. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's so I would not say we spent a lot of time on Mud's Women, which I would not say is a super super great episode compared to the episode that's next, which is one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest episodes in the history of television, The Enemy Within, episode 105 of the original series, written by Richard Matheson, directed by Leo Penn, original air date October 6, 1966. A transporter malfunction splits the captain into a good Kirk who can't command very well and an evil Kirk who makes passes at Janice Rand and manipulates the crew. This is Star Trek at its absolute... Like, if you had to name top 20 episodes up there with, you know, my favorites... Uh, and I'm not, an, I'm not an original series guy, and you know this. I do. Um, but uh, if you were to take, you know, In the Pale Moonlight from DS9 and, and The Inner Light uh, from Next Gen and even The uh, Regeneration, my favorite Enterprise episode, this episode would end up t top 20 for sure, top 10 maybe. Um, maybe even top t top five might be my favorite original series episode. Um, Kirk's it's phenomenal. Because um, it's not just the 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 fun of seeing Kirk split in split in two, but it's the 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 philosophy of it, which says yes. you need both sides. 
Right, which says that a person, you know, isn't, you know, without the ego, without the, the quote-unquote, like, bad stuff, like, you, he's not as good a captain. Like, he needs that stuff. You know, like, who we are as people is an amalgam of, you know, the, the good qualities, the soft qualities, the compassion, you know what I mean, the contemplativeness and, and you know, the brashness and, and the arrogance and the aggression. Like, without the whole package, like, shit doesn't work. Like, and it doesn't work either way. Like, that's the thing, you know, you they need to be sort of, within each person there's sort of this inner struggle and and... I think that's what makes us human. And I think that that's what's so communicated in this episode because you know Kirk's, he's a fantastic captain. But like neither one of those separated out parts of him is good at that on its own. Can't well, I be. Feel like, I, I feel like the answer to this episode in Next Gen of all things is that episode with Q and Picard, Tapestry, um, where Picard is also left to uh, to to examine what what happened he he doesn't like his you know his brash youthful, youthfulness yeah yes decision and, and he finds out that once you remove <laughs> that he becomes much like good kirk he's a lieutenant to nothing uh, you know he never no ever he never does anything yeah. yeah he's just content to just kind of be there and i and i love this as a as a recurring theme that that we all have parts of ourselves. We all, all have parts of our histories. You and I have talked off camera, off off uh, mic, about parts of ourselves that we wish weren't the same. There are times when I've annoyed the the shit out of you, and there are times when 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 you've bothered the shit out of me. Um, but without those, as as Picard called them, the the loose threads, we aren't who we are. Yeah. And and I think this exemplifies that that that. It's very easy to look and go, this is bad and this is good, and in, and instead go, if you are an exceptional person, as you, uh, Alexia, are, and as I hope that you think I am, and as certainly we both, we <laughs> both think Kirk is, right. right, that you need some of that unpleasant shit, especially when you're a guy who has to be, part of his life is violence, right? Yeah, I mean, and part of his life is, you know, ambition, which I think, you know, we tend to think of negatively, you know, because of the things that people will do for ambition, you know what I mean? And I think that's the, I think that's the key, right? It's about how the other parts of yourself inform, you know what I mean? Like you could have the strength from those quote-unquote negative qualities without devolving into that, you know what I mean? And I think that's what, we're, you know, you sort of learn in this episode. Moving on to episode 106, uh, which, uh, as we commented before, uh, these aired out of order. Um, the original air date for this was September 8th, 1966. This is an episode that could have been shit. It could have been terrible. The concept is actually kind of terrible. Um, a shape-shifting salt vampire which seduces its victims as appearing as by appearing as someone attracted to them then comes on board the man trap this episode could have been utter bullshit except for Dr. McCoy he's awesome um, this is really where you get to know him right yeah this is sort of the first insight we have into like sort of his backstory you know and who he is as, as a as a guy, as just like a dude, not a doctor, you know, not being bones, not his role on the ship, but like he's got a past and he's got this love from his past and he's, 
you know, got a loyalty there, and and it's really, you know, the first time we see people dying in droves, I think. Um, well, like, and, and the thing is, when I read the synopsis, a, a shape-shifting salt vampire, which seduces <laughs> its victims by appearing as someone attracted to them, that's awful. That's terrible. But as is often the case with, you know, that's like saying the trouble with Tribbles is tiny little replicating pets endanger the Enterprise. You know, the, you're missing right. the... the you're it's missing the, the point. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the fact that the real synopsis of this should be you get to know... Uh, Dr. McCoy and and get to endure pain with him, which is such a sophisticated idea for a for a science fiction show of the time, you know. Yeah, and I think too, it's not just that. Like you've got you know the guy that she's quote unquote I guess married to. I guess was married to since she was a real person at some point, um, and like the sort of sickness that is him. Holding on to his wife. So okay, let's 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 talk. Like, can you give a better synopsis than the one that they give there? Like, because I think it's important to. to I mean, tell you know, her. I'm not good at these little like sure. TV guide synopsises or whatever. But basically, you know, they go. The Enterprise has to do physicals or check out this, you know, remote outpost. And Bones has history with the the woman who's there, but she's you know moved on in her life. She's married this this scientist, and they live on this you know outer planet by themselves. And then some deaths start happening, and all they have are these weird sucker marks on their face, and they don't know what the fuck is going. That they have no salt in their bodies at all. And you know, finally, as they sort of figure it out, it turns out that his wife has been dead for a long time, and this woman that Bones has been seeing isn't her. It's this creature that is the last of its kind, and it subsists on salt, so it needs the salt. And that's what they were asking for. They're like, we just wanted our shipment of salt. Why do we have to go through all these fucking hoops? Just give me my fucking salt. So basically, this guy has been living with this alien creature as, like, ostensibly his wife, and feeding it salt, you know what I mean, for the past however many years. And... Because she's still, some part of her is still his wife. You know, that's like I mean, it's, it's mimicking his wife. That's the thing that's twisted about it, right? Like, there, his wife is nowhere in there, right? Like, and it is just trying to survive. Like, and that's the thing about it, right? It's not malicious, right? Like, it it's has not enough killing of, people. It has enough of his wife in its consciousness, right? That 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 it is the closest thing he can get to carrying on. Like, is, sure. Like, it's it it is twisted. I mean, yes. Yeah. It is absolutely twisted, and there's a, uh, there's there's a, um, you know, I'm gonna spoil Angel. So turn turn tune down for like three seconds or thirty seconds. If you don't wanna spoil Angel. Uh, the final episode of Angel has one of my favorite episodes moments. Really, this is really spoiling the final episode. So please don't listen to this if you haven't seen the last episode of Angel. Go thirty seconds forward. Um, uh, Illyria, uh, Wesley has has continued to be with Illyria because he loved the person that she is mimicking so right. very, very much. And in his final moments, he asks her to pretend so he can just experience the lie. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's such a real moment because I think this, is, this has that, I think that has that. I think we've all had that thing where we've lost the reality of something and we would gladly hold on to the lie for the sake of having something left, you know? Yeah. 
I definitely, I, I, and, and I think that that's why I feel like calling it a salt vampire uh, occurs to me as as a less. I feel like it's a little bit more like an emotional succubus, right? Like, cause it 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 does need the salt, like on a base, like molecular level or whatever, but it seeks out. It needs like the love, right? It needs that person or that entity that it can count on, which is why it's drawn to McCoy. Because when he sees her for the first time, like, he sees her as she looked, you know, back in the day, you know? He's like, she doesn't age today, and, you know, Kirk's like, dude, she, she's, she's nice looking, but, but she's not 20-whatever years old anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not true, babes. <laughs> um, so I think she's drawn to Bones because of his caring for her, and so it's cr it's actually craving, you know, along with the salt that it needs, it also needs that emotional love or, you know, desire. And it's stronger in Bones than it is in the husband, because the husband knows it's a lie at this point, right? So, like, he's only got, he knows he's living a lie, but Bones doesn't know that. And he's, you know, got regret. Um, the next episode <laughs> is The Naked Time. The original oh my series, gosh, yeah. Episode 107, uh, original air date September 29th, 1966. I think it's important to know how early this is in the run. Like, you've barely gotten to know these people if you're watching this the first time around. And suddenly, <laughs> this is what you get. Um, written by John D.F. Black, uh, directed by Mark Daniels. Um, this has a lot of stuff in it. It says it, the synopsis: the crew contracts a disease which brings their repressed emotions to the surface, causing a young lieutenant to shut down the engines and leading Kirk to fear he can't command the ship. Or, as I like to say it, everyone gets drunk. <laughs> like, but that doesn't work because you know Spock wouldn't get drunk. Well, but he does. And, and his breakdown is one of the best moments in the episode. Well, and, and I he's think like that's trying I, to hold on to his logic, and like it's he can't, you know. I mean, there's so many famous moments from this. Certainly, uh, oh, the yeah. crewmen taking over engineering and singing, and fucking um, singing the whole damn time. One yeah. more time. Certainly, Kirk not being affected until the very end. Of course, he's immune until the very, very end of the episode because he's Kirk. Um, <laughs> Spock crying, learning about sort of the love triangle, which I would say you have a love triangle between. Uh, between uh, Nurse Chapel, Spock, and Spock's logic. Mm -hmm. um, where yeah. Spock, underlying, probably has feelings for her, won't allow himself to have feelings for her. She has feelings for him, but his love is his logic. And his logic doesn't want her around. Right. Um, so it's it, it establishes that. Him crying, um, and of course the most famous moment of the episode, one of the most famous moments of all of Star Trek, is George Takei. Yep, with the sword. <laughs> Taking his shirt off, fencing in the halls. Um, I mean, just what a what a a powerhouse of an of of iconic moments in a single episode, you know? Yeah, like, and what's so great about it is, and this is what I love about the original series, kind of as a whole, is their ability to do like tackle really like rough and important stuff. But like, have such fun and reverence at the same time. Like they can, they frequently, and in each episode, they manage both. You know, in the span of a, you know, what with without commercials usually winds up being, you know, forty-five or fifty minutes. You know what I mean? Like they they manage that and and deftly. And I think this is one of those great episodes. Like it's so much fun. 
it's a really fun episode. You know, you've got you know Sulu in the hallways, and you've got this fucking guy singing Irish tunes in the you know engineering, but you've also got you know Kirk realizing his obsession and his his faults and his worries, and you've got Spock in, in a tour de force in a tour de force acting moment. By the way, I mean from both of them, really, they just really. I mean, the commitment is amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's so why, he, you know, I honestly, like you said about the whole love triangle, like with Christine Chapel, I would have preferred, I think, if J.J. Abrams had, like, had Spock wind up with Chapel in the new stuff that he did. I would have, I think there's a stronger case for that than Ahura. Yeah, but I think that, I think that that's actually a wise, if you're going to have Spock fall for someone, <laughs> um, I think it's, a, and you can't have Kirk really fall for anyone on the crew. No, um, I think that the that already people like already Chekhov has nothing to do, you know what I mean? Like already the crew is is Sulu has nothing to do. Like I think introducing yet another character was probably going to be a mistake. So I kind of understand why like you can't introduce Nurse Chapel as well because I just think you have too many folks. Um, so for for a two hour for a two hour movie, you know, for a show it's perfect, but for you know, in two hours, getting them all in and introducing a villain and all his cohorts and Captain Pike and Kirk's dad. You know, it's just like there's like too much. A lot of a lot, lot of characters. Um, now here is what I think. While a good episode, the first uh, derivative episode of the original series, which is Charlie X, uh, the original series episode number one hundred and eight, uh, original air date September fifteenth, nineteen sixty six. Story by Gene Roddenberry. Teleplay by DC Fontana, who actually wrote for Next Gen a little bit and DS9 a little bit. Directed by Lawrence Dobkin. Um, when the Enterprise transports Charlie, an adolescent human with powerful telekinetic abilities, back to the Federation, he makes crew members vanish and takes frightening steps to make Yeoman Rand fall in love with him. Or, as you could also call, call it, Where No Man Has Gone Before, Part 2. Because... This is, I really sort of feel like, oh, look, here's a guy who's supposed to be normal, who's got lots of brain powers, and it's scary. And while it's a good episode, it's the first one that doesn't feel entirely original. Um, I don't know if I agree, because I think that the themes in this are, are very different in that you've got it in an adolescent boy who's... Sure trying to, and I think it's more meant to be a foil for what it's like when you're going through puberty than it is about power corrupting. Sure. Do you know what I, I mean? mean? I think I think it's more about like not understanding yourself. I'd say it's 50-50, though. I'd say that power corrupting is certainly a part of it. I mean, it is, I guess, but it's also, I mean, Kirk is trying to teach him like how to act right. And for a time, that works. Like, and all he wants, like, that's why I say the difference is it's not about power corrupting, because that's definitely what's going on in Where No Man Has Gone Before, but in Charlie X, he just wants to be, like, loved and accepted, like, he, you know, he, it's sort of, it's really sad at the end when he gets taken away, because he's like, I just, they don't have, they don't touch, they don't, they aren't real, you know, and that's so, that's so basely human, the need for connection, that that's what, it's really about, and I think we can all relate back to, you know, when your teenage days and you're, you know, pumped full of hormones and other stuff, and, and everything seems like it's the biggest thing in the whole world, and I think what they've done here is, is made it the biggest thing in the whole world, because they give him these powers that allow him 
to make that so, right? So make it so. Make it so. Um, so I think it's more about that exploration of like growing up and and learning that you know you don't just get whatever you want when you know whatever you want whenever you want it. Like even if you had the power to do that, like you don't. <laughs> like that's not I, appropriate. I see that, and I don't even mind it, except that it's eight eight episodes. It's only seven episodes after uh, where no man has gone before, and I just sort of feel like, and because of the way they aired, it was it was even closer together. And I just sort of feel like if I was watching them both, I honestly grouped them into a single episode in my head. Really? Um, uh. Yeah, and, and that's not entirely fair, and, and Charlie X is a different episode, but I just feel like compared to all the others, which is just like, Kurt gets split in two, now everyone's drunk, now we're dealing with McCoy's past and Assault Vampire, now this is the first one that sort of goes, now we're going back to a guy with super brain powers. And, and even though it's different, and I'm not saying it's bad, it's a first season original series episode, it's great, but it's not as original. You know what is original for this show? Like my like my segue there, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. Um, one of the best, in some people's opinions, the best episode of the original series, number one oh nine, original air date December fifteenth, nineteen sixty six, written by Paul Schneider, directed by Vincent McAvady. The name of the episode is Balance of Terror. Oh the, yeah. The Romulans destroy an outpost, and Kirk pursues their commander, whose cloaking device enables his ship to vanish from sensors. Now we talked about this episode just la like two episodes ago. We did. But um, but, damn. I know. Um, just phenomenal. Although, in fairness, um, given that I had not seen the Corbinite maneuver, maneuver in a long time, um. It's a little less groundbreaking than I thought it was because the Corbinite maneuver also feels like a great submarine in space situation. But still, I love this. This is Hunt for Red October. This is this is just great. I, I love think the difference it. is that in the in the Corbinite maneuver, I think it's yes, there's definitely strategy and it's about boldness. But I think they're clearly outmatched. Like the only thing they have are their wits. To get them out of that, whereas I think the the difference in balance of terror and what I think makes it um, so frightening and taut is that while the Romulans aren't net, they have they have they have superior firepower in some ways. They've got this cloaking device, but they are also very cunning. So you've got these. What two I always loved about the Romulans is that they were never more powerful than the Federation, and they were never less powerful than the Federation. You always got the sense that a one-on-one, -on -one, like even in Next Gen, because they they do standoffs against Romulan ships a lot in Next Gen, and you always got the sense that in a one-on-one -on -one fight, both ships would destroy each other, and neither would survive. Right. Um, like they both, they're they're fairly equally matched. Like they're yeah. different. Like like they said. I mean that's and they and they demonstrate that right away. You know, like they've got a more powerful weapon, but the Enterprise is more maneuverable. You know what I mean? Like so they each have their strengths and weaknesses that sort of balance each other out and make that like a fair fight. And so you've got basically, and you've got two commanders that are really fucking smart and really. Well, this is. That's the, 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 the two things that this does. Um, one is, is it, you know, you find out, you know, who the Romulans are, which is awesome. 
Um, but the other thing that they do that is really unique, and you got to keep in mind, this is you know in the height of the Cold War, it puts you on the other ship, mm -hmm. and it makes you sympathetic to the other commander. And I think that's the other big difference is that in this case, the person on the other, and that's why I compared to Hunt for Red October, where you get to know both both sides. The person right. on the other side is not the enemy. Yeah, they're the not just bad the guys. Side, you you as an audience member are 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 in with them. And it's just it's at the time it's really subversive. It's essentially saying, "Hey, have you considered that the Russians might be people too?" Right? Which is like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's really subversive and it's it's talk about something kind of wonderful. Of course, it also um has Mark Leonard as the Romulan commander like we talked about last time. Um you know, he would eventually go on to be Sarek. Um but what a what a force this guy is. He's he's perfect oh, yeah. in Star Trek. He belongs in Star Trek. Totally. He is amazing. Um, the next episode, I feel like we could talk more about it, but I also feel like we did. We did, um, yeah. <laughs> the next episode, uh, and you're going to have to help me with this one. I'm not that familiar with this one. Uh, episode number 110, original air date, October 20th, 1966. Notably, Balance of Terror, which was made earlier, uh, aired two months later. Um uh, written by Robert Block, directed by James Goldstone. The name of the episode is What Are Little Girls Made Of? Kurt pursues the missing fiancé of Nurse Chapel, who has survived underground with the help of androids from a vanished civilization. Um, this is where we get some insight into uh, Nurse Chapel. Which, which does this deal with how she feels about stock, Spock, too? Because I haven't seen this one in a long time. It does not. This deals with... So basically, this guy, this scientist guy that they're going to see, like, is like a lover. Right? So this is... This Beyonce, is her, not just a lover. A yeah, like, so this is basically... This is, this is like the the episode for um, for Bones, but like on steroids, right? Like, because yeah. that's like in the past, and this is this is happening. Like, this is current. Right? So, and this guy is trying, from his perspective, to, like, better humanity. So he's got these, and, and this is actually one, of, this is a creepy-ass episode, because this is where the guy, I don't know, so you, so you haven't seen it in a while, but he makes a Kirk android and sends it up to take over the ship. Oh, why didn't they mention that in the synopsis? That's important. It seems like another. It it's another evil Kirk, too. It, yeah, it, but it is and it isn't. This is one of those where you see how clever Kirk is, right? So basically, this guy's position is he's like, listen, as human beings, we are weak. We our bodies grow old and they die and they get harmed easily. And here we've got this technology, this android technology that would allow us to like make an android us, so that we don't ever have to die. And and we can survive forever, and it'll be great. And Kirk's like, dude, dude, I don't know. Like, and he feels so strongly about it that he's basically sort of kidnapped Kirk and Christine. And Christine's like, dude, um, like, you can't do this, babes. Like, I love you, but this isn't okay. You're freaking me out. You know what I mean? So she's kind of torn in in two directions because she's got the love for this guy, and then she's got you know her captain and her ship, and. So basically, he's trying to prove it to Kirk, and he's kidnapped him. And Kirk is not really being responsive. So 
his he, when he shows it to him, they, basically his way of, of giving him a demonstration is to make a Kirk. Now Kirk, knowing what's going on, being clever, when the process is being done, right at the end, he sort of puts this failsafe into, into the, um, the android, where he goes, he says, Spock, you green-blooded bastard, or something like that. Like he says something shitty about Spock that he would never say. Like, an opinion about Spock that he does not hold, that is very negative, and that's bigoted. So, when he meets, like, himself, there's this great scene where he, like, basically, Christine meets the captain, thinks it's the captain, but it's the android, and they, like, have dinner or, or lunch or some fucking, they share a meal together, and then the, and he brings out the real Kirk, and he's like, ha, see, you were fooled, I'm telling you, it's going to be great, right? So he sends Kirk up, and he's like, this is going to be fine, I've got my Kirk android, and everything's going to be great. But of course, it's found out because when it displays this behavior towards Spock, you sort of like, what the fuck? Yeah. That ain't right. Well, I mean, I think I think that it is. Uh, again, stuff like this is always fun, especially when you have actors like Shatner. Or I go back to Patrick Stewart. There's that great episode where uh, Picard gets kidnapped, and uh, and they put a replacement for Picard on the ship, who is almost right. But not quite, and everyone kind of finally figures it out. I think it's just fun to display. You know, we I give Shatner shit because you know his ability to display subtlety and realistic emotion is sometimes not what I would want it to be. However, look what he fucking pulls off here. You know, on a cardboard set in you know with no money, uh, out there playing two versions of himself. This guy. Is this guy truly is a show? He's a show on his own fucking own, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that I think the writers discovered pretty early on. We want to see him do that because that's the, fun. Like this is fun when we see him do this. It's it's you know yeah. Like I think that gets his episodes like Mirror Mirror as well, which yeah they all do phenomenally well. The next episode is episode 111, aired November 3rd, 1966. Look at these dates. They're just like September, December, November, October. It's just completely out of order. Um, written by S. Bar David, directed by Vincent McVitie. The name of the episode is Dagger of the Mind. While delivering supplies to a facility for the criminally insane, Kirk is taken hostage by a power-hungry hungry doctor who uses a neural neutralizer to control the minds of his patients. I don't remember this at all. Oh, this one was creepy as fuck. Was it? Like he, yeah, <clears throat> they basically, they go to make this, you know, run for this mental institute or whatever, and this crazy person makes it on board the Enterprise, and they manage to subdue the crazy, and but in doing so, what they discover is that he's actually like that he was a doctor there like he wasn't a patient never was a patient but he was a doctor and now he seems to be like criminally you know insane and crazy and so they go down to sort of investigate and they find out about this device that basically like if they use it as a like it won't let you like if they put it on really high or whatever it blanks out your mind and it you can makes it like really suggestive and so they've basically done that to this doctor guy so that he can't talk about what he's seen there like the bad shit that he's seen there 
the control mechanisms and this this. So is this is this episode particular. talking about PTSD? Is that what we're talking about here? Is this an allegory for that? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's more an allegory for you know some of the primitive uh, psychiatric practices that we that we had. You know, some of the fucked up things we would do in the name of trying to make someone quote-unquote well. Like, because it's not... What this device does is, like, not okay. Right? Makes me like, watch the episode. Like, I'm bummed that I don't know the episode because I've actually worked in mental health before. Um, and now I want to turn around and watch it. You need to watch it. Like, I think, I think that's what it's more about. It's Speaking about of... Me Speaking of messed up, the next episode, episode number 112, again, look at this air date, October 27, 2000, no, it says October 27, 2003, interesting. Right. Can't be right. Um, <laughs> uh, episode number 112, written by Adrian Spies, directed by Vincent McVitie, um, the name of the episode is Mary. On a planet of decades-old children, one of whom develops a crush on Captain Kirk, the away, the away team becomes infected with a genetically engineered disease that prolongs youth but kills adolescents. I know this episode fairly well. Um, I, It's not the strongest, um, but it certainly does have moments that are unsettling. Definitely. I think, and I think when we find out, like I think, and this... this is one of those episodes where I think it's, you know, talking about our sort of obsession with youthfulness, which is interesting that, like, even as far, you know, even as long ago as the 60s, like, we had this. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just gotten worse as time has progressed. You know, this idea that, like, growing old is bad, right? Like, that is undesirable for you to age. So, and then attempt... Are we, I mean, we're, we're predating the youth of South's culture a little bit at this point, though, right? I mean, it's not... This is not the 80s or 90s. This is the time where, where the main characters on shows are generally much older than, let's say, the main characters on shows today. Yeah, but I think this is where it begins. I think this is when we started to have you know, society looking at more youthfulness and starting to you know, sort of value that. And I think it just gets worse from here on out. Like, I think you're right. In the 60s, we have you know, people in their 30s and their 40s sort of prolific in TV. And, and now it's like, you know, you're... 18, and, you know, if you're 40, it's too late. <laughs> like, no, we can't have you on a show. Honey, you're 40. Come on. The only now. part that really gets to me is is a, a child in love with Kirk. That's... Yeah, you know, that just really wigs you out. That didn't... See, for me, I was probably about her age when I saw it. I mean, prob oh. probably younger, actually, right? And I'm, of course, crushing on Kirk because... So you, so you relate. Yeah, so for me, it was just ah. like... I get it. He's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and and I think there's also there's another guy in this episode who's who's young and he plays one of the kids, but I've seen him in like a bunch of other stuff. And he's a little bit funny looking. Um and he usually plays comedic characters, I feel like back like I remember I knew him I think from the eighties mostly. So like seeing him in this episode as like this young kid was like crazy. It was like, what? That's so wild to me. <laughs> so I think that's the part that I remember the most about that. And, the, you know, and the, you know, the kids being kids. I mean, this idea that, I guess, if there are no adults around, that children wouldn't develop in any way um, beyond what they were, I'm not sure if I agree with that. 
It's sort of the opposite of Lord, like Lord of the Flies, which says that children will develop while they're not grown-ups around. It's just a matter of how they do. Sure. And I think, yeah, this basically they all play games and they're vicious and they're terrible to each other, but like they're very childlike, even though you know, you find out by the end of the episode that they've basically been alive for, you know, over 100 years. The next episode, episode 113, original air date, December 8, 1966, written by Barry Travers, directed by Gerd Oswald. Uh, the name of the episode is The Conscience of the King. Synopsis, when a leader of traveling... By the way, this is all from... Uh, I'm getting all this from Memory Alpha, I think. Or no, from trektoday.com. Um, uh, sorry, Trek Today, for giving an ad for Memory Alpha for no reason. <laughs> um, uh, when the leader of a travel... <laughs> and today, this one's brought to you by Subway. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> E-Trek. Um, I love the BMT. Oh, wait, no. Um, what about when the Pizza Hut and uh, I have a Pizza <laughs> Hut near me. You know... Um, you know, we've been doing this remotely for a while. I haven't seen you uh, in person in a couple of months. Um, that will certainly rectify that when the weather is a little warmer. But um, I'm discovering all the restaurants uh, in this new location where I am, and there is a Pizza Hut two minutes from my house. So that that Pizza Hut box that we would often get is actually become kind of a staple now. Um, <laughs> it's nine ninety nine, man, for for. It's or sorry, ten ninety nine if you get the cheese sticks for cheese sticks, dessert sticks, and a and a medium pan pizza. It's just like, how can you beat that? I know, right? That's pretty damn good. Um, I don't know why pizza always feels like it should be more expensive. Like when I get a pizza, even if I get like an eighteen dollar pizza, but it's enough to feed like six people, I'm like, holy shit! It's like it's an eighteen dollar pizza. If you'd say this should be a hundred dollars, this was my favorite food at one point. Like this. This cannot possibly be as inexpensive as this. <laughs> Someone's getting robbed. Um, when a leader of a traveling theatrical troupe, uh-oh, actors, is suspected know, right? to be a, gen a genocidal governor, the suspicious deaths of people he could identify, who could identify him concerns Kirk, especially since he's one of the survivors. Thoughts? I feel like we've talked about this episode before because this is the one with, uh, with Kodos. I think that's what the dude's name was. And he's basically the guy who decides to kill off a certain percentage of the population to ensure the survival of the rest. But The because... leader of an actor troupe. It just seems like such a... like I think this is the first time you have the writers just going, hey, here's a weird idea. Well, I think he's he's gone into basically he's hi he's hiding, he's been hiding for, you know what I mean? Like he escaped punishment for his crimes. But it's not quite hiding, right? It would be it would be like a not it would be like a Nazi sympathizer sympathizer hiding as Ian McKellen. <laughs> <laughs> like it's <coughs> that's not hiding. That's I mean, it is when you think about what how big space is, I guess. Sure. You know what I mean? And they're this little traveling troupe, and there are literally, I think, like, five people who've seen him in the universe or whatever that survived and, you know, had, had actual, any idea what he looked like. So it's not like chances of being discovered were too good. You know what I mean? And it's many, many years later. Like, we're talking, the dude's, like, old at this point, and I think 
you know, he was the leader of this planet or whatever, like, you know, back in his youth. So and let's be let's be clear, right? I mean, given that this is 1966, this is about this is about the Nazis, right? This is about the, yeah, it's got to be. This is this is about the Nuremberg trials. But I mean, again, this is this is one discussing. of those things where it's really interesting because they they kind of give you the other the other side of the story. You know what I mean? Like where you were forced to to go, did he do the wrong thing? Like if they hadn't gotten the supplies, like if they hadn't arrived. Like, he probably would have been a hero. Like, he would have done the right thing. He would have ensured the biggest, you know, that, that, that people survived, that there was a population that survived instead of everybody dying. But well, because I... of the arrival of the supplies or whatever it was they were waiting for, like, he's a monster. And it's like, you, it, makes, it forces you to go, like, what would I have done in that position? You know what I mean? Like, well, and Yeah, I and I think... I think that that sort of the that history ends up writing people into what they are instead of how they actually are. I mean, I think it's 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 very easy, and it's. I mean, does this episode then is this episode a Nazi sympathizer? I mean, it's very interesting, you know. And that's what I guess what Star Trek does so well is it it, it says you know, because they do it on DS9 a lot too. You know, when DS9 came out in the 90s, certainly like we think that Middle Eastern terrorism started in 2011 or 2001, and it didn't. It right. was a big deal. Like people were blowing up planes and 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 terrorists and threatening were threatening and you know and yeah. blowing up locations and terrorists yeah. were were yeah it was scary and it was totally a thing. You so know? to turn around and go hey let's look at from the point of view of the terrorists yeah it's something that only Star Trek can do and and I, this really feels like it's like you know there's there are times when you have to make decisions that are difficult and and it's truly the lesser of two evils but you end up choosing evil either way. And if that doesn't work out as you hoped, then then you're a monster. Right. But I also, but I also think that the there's also this is in an era where you're you're 20 years after the end of the of World War II, and people are being found in hiding. And I think you can't you can't ignore that as being part of the public consciousness at that time. Definitely, and that's but that's what I'm saying. Like I think I think that's definitely you know what they were talking about but I think that they have this way that one of the things I love about Star Trek is that they they force you to consider the other side you know it's very easy to just go those are the bad guys and what they did was wrong and it's difficult when you're faced with the, the reality that they're human beings and they were in a difficult position and like what would you have done like and when you say something like that like oh, how could you say that like, there's no excuse for their behavior. You know what I mean? And it's like, sure. When it's when you're looking at it from the outside, it's very easy to say there's no excuse for that behavior. But if you haven't lived it, you know, it, it's so, like, how can you so easily judge their, their actions when you weren't in their position? Like, you don't know what it was like. You didn't have to make that hard choice. And maybe you would have made a different one. You know what I mean? But, like, consider that. Like actually think about it instead of just. If there's a later episode which uh, which echoes sort of the thoughts you're talking about, there's that episode of Voyager um, where the Doctor has to choose between uh, both. Uh, I think it's Harry Kim and another crew member he doesn't know so well, and he chooses Harry Kim, and it sends him into this feedback loop because why do you choose one over the other? Um, and in 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 a situation that is you know emergency triage. Uh, which is something I know a little tiny bit about. 
um, you sometimes you have to make that decision of you know you have who has the best chance where 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 do you do the most good even if doing the most good means that that there is a decision that is unfavorable to to one party and I think that that again these sort of questions weren't being asked at the time at least on television and the fact that you can see it all the way into Voyager and I'm sure if you went to Enterprise you'd see it too um, well certainly you do you have when when uh, in an effort to save Earth, Archer has to steal something from somebody else's ship. Else's ship. To that ship, he's a monster. He's a villain. Oh he's yeah, a he's a bad guy. Absolutely. Um, uh, but in this case, you know, it is certainly he's saving mil. He's trying to save millions of people. So. And I think that's uh, what Star Trek does so well. Is that, and I think that that's something I carry with me to this day. This idea of perspective. That's all about your perspective. And the next episode is episode 115, Court Martial. Uh, but we uh, are going to do that next week. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have our first two-parter of 2014 in that it's the second day of 2014. Um, so <laughs> so uh, we are going to do Court Martial uh, next time in the next week or so. Um, in the meantime, if you want to catch up, uh, you go on Netflix, check it out, uh, catch up with this so you know uh, if you need to catch up on uh, the original series, do so. Um, but you can also catch us on Facebook, uh, communicate with us there. Mr. A answers that a lot, so do I, so does Alexia, a little less than two of us. Um, uh, you can uh, listen to all our old episodes. If you're listening, just you clicked on a post on uh, Facebook or something, go on iTunes and search for Trek Off because there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours um, or maybe like 100 hours. But there's a lot of hours. Um, uh, you can check out uh, a little bit of what we're doing at trekoffpodcast.com, which is our RSS feed. You can look at trekoffmovie.com. You can go to geeksradio.com and see some of the other things that have been happening. Um, there's a lot for you to do. It's the beginning of the new year, and we got a lot of free, fun stuff for you to see um, and tons of, of fun, funny Star Trek stuff. Um, but uh, we're going to finish up the season next week but for today my name is justin and my name is alexia and trek off trek off bitches ladles You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to Geeks radio.com or searching geeks radio on itunes geeks radio is a presentation of endlight entertainment